All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Once upon a time, I was a foreign news producer who would fly into emergency situations like, you know, the parliament is on fire in Belgrade or the Concorde just crashed. And I would go to make sure everybody else in the world knew about it. And then after 9-11, I became a reporter, um, TV reporter for a couple of years, and it was intense. And then this thing happened to me. I had kids. <laughs> and I thought I was going to be like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, we'll still be amazing at work. We'll just like throw them into a backpack, travel around the world so stupid. I had no idea. My ass got kicked so hard. The first one was so colicky. He never slept. I literally tried to take a nap once while pushing his stroller. Just gives you an indication that I had lost my mind completely. Uh, And then I had another one. (laughs) I was like, well, I'm not coming out of this hole. Might as well just stay down here in the misery of not sleeping and not, you know, doing anything for myself or using my brain because it doesn't work anymore. And I had this number two baby who was a little bit easier. And then this point came that completely surprised me because I thought this was the end. I was like, nobody ever tells you that who you were before is dead Like, she's gone forever. But something nice happened, actually. Um, And it came back to my daughter. She started sleeping, like, fully through the night, which meant that for the first time in, like, four years, I started sleeping fully through the night, which meant that I could read full sentences again. And my ambition also woke up. And frankly, it was time for me to start making more money, too. And I was like, okay, okay. Let's get back to work full time. But then I was like, how the hell am I going to do this? It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. We'll get to the tech part in a sec. Let's dwell on the human side for another minute. I just told you my most human moments about being a working mother. And I asked you to tell me yours. Hi, Note to Self. This is my work-life balance story. I had an incredibly stressful day picking her up from daycare, and I put her to bed that night, I closed the door, and I sat outside of her room and basically just bawled. I mean, I cried, and I thought, I don't know if I can do this working parent thing anymore. I am a freelancer, and because of that, don't have paid maternity leave. Thanks, America. We ended up in this situation where I could only really take, like, the day I gave birth off. My daughter was about three or four, and she was sick and had to stay home from school, but I didn't have anyone to stay with her, so I took her to work with me. 
I sort of stuffed her under my desk at the bottom of the cubicle where a couple of pairs of shoes and a lot of wires and my hard drive were. I like being the primary caregiver. I want to do that. But that pressure is just something that I have a really hard time dealing with and I have a really, really hard time getting my husband to understand what that's like for me. Welcome to a special month of Note to Self. Oh, these stories. We heard from so many of you about your work-life turmoil, and we'll be hearing more throughout the series. A lot of us are struggling. For the next four weeks, I'm going to tell you a story about two working moms who think they may have come up with just the thing to help working parents. It's a big idea, a tech idea. Our deep dive series is called Taking the Lead, because it's also about much more than just helping working mothers. It's about how that help could make a systemic change and make it possible for them to keep being ambitious, stay in those jobs, and then move up to the very top. If you are not a parent or you don't have this problem, stick with us because this work-life turmoil is real. Someone around you is probably going through it right now. When I realized I wanted to go back to work full-time, I realized I was going to have to figure this out. Like, how do I balance my work and my personal life? Because my husband was busy. His hours were super unpredictable. He had to be available all the time. So we needed to be flexible for his career. I mean, I'm not the lead breadwinner. I do need to work full-time, but I'm still the lead parent. So what I did is I went and found someone who I thought might be able to tell me, like, just even where to start. Her name was Raquel Ellison, and you're going to get to know her really well in the next month. What we find is that the whole conversation about leaning in was started by somebody who has a staff and an in-office nursery. Raquel coaches companies and parents on how to create more supportive work situations for people that don't have million-dollar salaries or an in-office nursery. She, for example, helped me say no to one job that couldn't offer flexible hours. But we stayed in touch, and I learned that she'd been thinking hard about how to scale the work that she does. In fact, she'd teamed up with a neighbor, another mom, to make something that they thought could change the entire working parent culture. It's a big claim. I mean, okay, just so you know, starting out, at first I thought this was just going to be an interesting story about how working mothers become entrepreneurs. But here we are, fast forward a couple years later, and it's about power and gender, what your mom and dad thought about their roles when you were a kid, and wondering how feminism can find its place in the tech economy, and whether these two women can reconcile the different choices they've made. For now... Here's just a little taste of what's to come. Getting more women into the C-suite, getting more women to be able to get past this barrier. It's who's going to unload the dishwasher. Why is my time as a parent mostly just focused on domestic work? Have the groceries. I walk in and I don't have a hoodie and I'm not 24 and I'm not male and I don't have a... I haven't graduated from Stanford. Get the laundry done. Our entire life is plan to this minute. The stupid ballet recital. A CEO needs time to think. And like all of those sorts of things. She said, why are you working all the time, mom? You never want to be with me. It's personal choice. I mean, you don't have to do. You don't. 
And I know that that's like where it's really, it gets really hard. I don't know the answer to that anymore. Well, you're going to have to be ready for the VCs because, you know, you can't really be like two moms. This is so much about helping parents feel less overwhelmed. I feel kind of, I'm now guilty to say free to do what I would like to be able to do a lot of the time. So welcome to part one, the pain point. That's Silicon Valley speak for the problem. Part of the problem, as Raquel Ellison sees it, is that even in many households where both parents work full time, a lot of the day-to-day parenting responsibilities fall to the moms. Research backs this up. When someone tries to be the kind of parent who wants to put more boundaries in place and say, I got to leave every day at five, they're going to face some backlash for that. There are articles that say or research that says that men get kind of a boost once they become parents and women don't. Yeah, they get penalized, actually. There's also research that suggests same-sex couples find a better balance, at least at home, when they become parents, because their gender roles don't necessarily conform to the traditional American family. And speaking of the non-traditional American family, there's a newer model of parenting, right? Where the dad does most of it, that and the household work. Like for Raquel's neighbor and business partner, Leslie, the other woman you're going to get to know really well this month. I've always been the primary income provider in a lot of situations. So ever since my child was small, I knew that I wouldn't have the bulk of the time. So I don't feel that pressure at all. Like in terms of like trying to be a better mommy, that's something that can't be a priority for me. I have to be the best mom that I want to be and people will have to live with that. Leslie Alley Walker works in advertising. She's a creative director. And she had her daughter after establishing a big shot career, after the age of 40. And how did she make it work? Well, she had a lead parent at home, her husband. He works from home. If the school nurse calls, he's the one that goes and picks up Lulu, their daughter. And so she and Rachel got to wondering, what if they could bring some of that flexibility and support like Leslie has, what if they could bring that to more working moms, even if their spouse or partner doesn't stay at home? What if dual-income families could make it work by outsourcing some of the household pressures? Because scrambling to figure it all out can be a serious distraction for any working parent. Here's Raquel laying out the typical panic-inducing situation. She's stuck at work on a client call that's run over. And instead of being able to focus on that client call, they start picking up their phone and tapping a lot of buttons and trying to figure out, you know, crap, who's going to cover my kids? Who's going to be able to make dinner? We ended up doing something that I've never done, which is basically create a demo for an app. Yup, an app. It's actually more like a service. Uber for the working parent. Come on, you knew an Uber comparison was inevitable. It is called Need Done. It is a platform. It's a sort of smart virtual personal assistant platform that will anticipate and troubleshoot the needs of the working parent. Think of it as the Working Moms Command Center. And why the mom? Well, because according to Pew Research, it's usually still the mother who does more of the managing of the kids' schedules and activities and taking care of them if they're sick and cleaning and cooking and buying groceries, all those things. That's what half of the parents in dual-income households reported. This was also Rachel's life. 
I mean, she had decided to be the lead parent and work flexible part-time hours as a consultant so she could pick up her daughter from school, so she could be there for dinner every night. Josh, her husband, has his own business. He could put in whatever hours he needed to. He was the main breadwinner. And Raquel figured she'd still have her flexibility by working with Leslie. And surely, if any company could have two working moms at the top, it would be a company that was creating a solution for working moms. Right? So when Raquel and Leslie told me that they were going to head out to Silicon Valley to feel out investors and get a sense of the competition, I asked them to take my audio recorder with them. Two Brooklyn moms with no tech experience driving around Palo Alto? Awesome. Had VCs ever even seen women over the age of 40? Other than their own moms? You'll hear what they recorded after the break. We are sitting in what we would call a tool shed. (laughs) But in in Palo Alto, they would call it an embassy suite for entrepreneurs. (laughs) <laughs> Between us, we're raising three kids. I just think it's funny. It's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and this is part one of our four episodes called Taking the Lead. Two working moms with a big idea. This has ended up being kind of like a mashup of the book Lean In with the HBO show Silicon Valley. And look, I know that the women that we're talking about have it relatively good. Most of the people in these episodes, including me, are part of a specific, some would say privileged, strata of the American labor market. Highly educated, white-collar, not necessarily scraping by, but with problems of their own, particularly if both parents need or want to work. There is a whole category of jobs, and I put my former job at the State Department in this category. This is Anne-Marie Slaughter. She wrote that seminal piece called Why Women Still Can't Have It All in the Atlantic in 2012. A year later, Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg published Lean In. If you're going to be in the C-suite, if you're going to be, you know, a client-facing, deal-making senior partner, then really you are going to be on much more of the time. And for those jobs... If you also have a family, you are going to need a lead parent at home. Anne-Marie now has a book called Unfinished Business, Women, Men, Work, Family. It's unfinished, all right. I mean, did you know that only 4.2% of S&P 500 companies have a female CEO? We still have a very big generational problem with most companies where the people at the top are largely men. They are largely men of a generation when there was always somebody at home. And all of them made it with a wife at home as lead parent. And so they are still very resistant. And this resistance at the top means that twice as many women are more likely to say that being a parent makes it harder for them to advance in their career. Because when you get instructions to bring pretzels to your kid's class or you decide not to volunteer on Multicultural Day or ah, you don't have the camp forms filled out because you couldn't schedule a pediatrician appointment, all that adds up to making you feel like you just stink at being a mom. Like you're just letting everyone down all the time. Those pretzels, they're just a symbol. 
this, this, the list, this is what makes people crazy. It takes up their brain space and it takes that space away from work and other stuff. So here's how Raquel and Leslie wanted to help. They wanted to create a one-stop coordination tool for the working parent. You've probably heard of TaskRabbit or Ask Alfred or Sitter City or other services where you can hire someone to do housekeeping and babysitting. But Raquel and Leslie told me that their service, Need Done, would be special. So the difference, the key difference here, according to Raquel, is other services, they just create more work for busy parents. Like they can find you the babysitters, they can match you with dog walkers, but you still really have to vet them and schedule them. There are a lot of systems out there. We've actually reviewed like over 75 different platforms that exist that address each of these, the meal needs, the caregiving needs, all of these different things. It would set you up quickly with people who were definitely available and who had already been vetted by friends and neighbors. Not random people, people you trust. Here's a scenario. Let's say it's the school bake sale. And you forgot, right? So we send you a little reminder to do. Yeah. Drop off cookies for the bake sale today. You can either say, yeah, I got it. Totally on top of it. Or can you help me? Can you either pick up the cookies because I made them, but I don't have time to drop them off or buy cookies for me? What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I did relate to that scenario. First world problems, I know, but I'm owning it. Raquel gave me another situation. Let's say I got stuck at work because a meeting went long. This box would pop up on my phone, alerting me that there was scheduling trouble ahead, and it would offer to help. And it literally says, dinner plans in jeopardy. Need help? And there's a Y or an N. Um, So after I press the Y button, it turns green, and then this little box pops up underneath. And it says reservation, cancel, or change. It says tasker 41, walk the dog, alerted the sitter, told the husband, change the reservation. And then this big sign that said done popped up on your phone. All those moving parts taking up space in your brain, dealt with. That was the idea anyway. But first, they had to learn how to actually start a tech company. So right before the biggest snowstorm of the year hit, they left their families behind in New York, got on a plane, and headed for bro country, San Francisco, where only 6% of all app developers are women, and even in embassy suites isn't quite what you might expect. We've been here for about 36 hours, and we've made our way down from San Francisco to Palo Alto, center of the tech universe, and we're sitting in what's no bigger than a garden shed with bunk beds in a house that is something we had to apply to to get into that is called Startup Embassy Suites, run by a guy, very nice, nice guy, very nice guy called Carlos. Rachel and Leslie crammed in as many meetings as possible into their schedule. 15 minutes with a potential investor here, coffee with a friend of a friend there. It was part networking, but also part research into how working moms survive in the tech world. Like learning that even Google, a tech company trying to make work-life balance part of their mission, hasn't cracked it. His his sister actually works for Google, and it's amazing. She just had her first baby, and she can't wrap her head around how to do it, even with as much as Google gives her. Right, that's the thing. Google gives them everything, but... They're not, you know, as much as we think that you would make at Google, they're not making enough to have an in-home staff. Even, you know, and paying for a nanny alone is a is a big expense. Yeah. 
So then trying to figure out all the other logistics on top of that. The visit was also a chance to talk to other women who were taking their pain points and turning them into businesses. And we're curious to know a little bit about just the environment and what we might anticipate as we move forward. Okay, yeah, happy to help. Rachel and Leslie crisscrossed Silicon Valley, meeting and questioning these other startup founders. I'm co-founder and CEO of Kangadoo. I am the founder and CEO of a career resource for moms. I am the co-founder and CEO of a company called Care Lulu. It's a marketplace that connects parents with uh, daycares and preschools. We're trying to really shine a light on employers who are doing great things. It's hard on families to be burning in on all ends. A mobile service that helps busy parents find trustworthy help with their kids while they're on the go. That was kind of my aha moment. Parents and technology products aimed at parents are known for sometimes being challenging. That's when it happened that, you know, like, we got to solve this. It's got social impact. I'm just curious how you've been influenced by your community in developing this idea, this app, testing it. Sure, a great question. Midway through their last conversation, the last one with Sarah, that founder of Kangadoo, it's now called Kango, the three women kind of realized that their concepts were pretty similar. So it's technology that helps you recreate a village, which strikes, we think, the delicate balance of being social and yet private enough, local enough, specific enough to you that it feels safe. So that's a very difficult balance to find. Sarah, thank you so much. This was really great, and we're so glad to meet you. Glad to meet you as well. Have a safe trip home. At this point, Raquel stopped recording, but the conversation with Sarah continued off mic, and things got a little awkward. Leslie and Sarah had kind of a standoff, which Raquel found hilarious and exhilarating. Here they are back in the car. It was this very passive-aggressive... But, like, brilliant exchange between two powerful women who were saying, like, one was saying, yes, I'm building this company right now. And the other was saying, I'm coming out of the gate. Like, watch me. And then she was like, <laughs> and then the other one, <laughs> and then she was like, yeah, I see all these competitors. And, like, sometimes we're, like, working together and sometimes we're not. Oh, my God, I really wish I'd recorded that. It was so- To Leslie and Rachel, the fact that they are being taken so seriously, I mean... This clinches it. Their idea is solid, and they could make some money solving these problems. Driving around in the Palo Alto sunshine, they're thinking, we have got this Silicon Valley thing. Well, yeah. I mean, did they drink the startup Kool-Aid? Maybe a little. But the more we're out here the more into this idea and excited I am. And, you know, the the less crazy. It seems so much less crazy than it did like a month ago. I think it really is actually so invigorating to see you can make things happen here. I think I'm really surprised by how much this has sort of crystallized the vision for me. And it's also clear part of making it happen is being able to tell your story. So back at the Startup Embassy Suites that night, Rachel and Leslie start honing theirs. What is our story? We are two moms who probably found each other based on absolute need. We needed to basically create something that felt communal as a solution to basically solve problems that we were seeing around us. And 
we are so freaking time poor that we need whatever it is that we can get in terms of a support group or tool to make things better. We're two moms of kids six and younger who've left our families in a snowstorm <laughs> to come out here and develop this idea that we feel so passionately needs to exist um, that we're basically going to do anything that it takes to make it work, both for ourselves and our families and other people's. On our next episode, the Silicon Valley high turns into a hangover. Leslie and Raquel get pushback from their families. It's been weird for my daughter, particularly, for me to be not there. Pushback from that little voice in the back of their minds. Is this a question that angel investors are going to ask us? Is it going to worry them that as mothers work, are we going to be able to dedicate ourselves? And a little pushback from each other. I've thought about that, but I mean, it's kind of like... Could you guys just not be women? Two working moms wonder what sacrifices they'll have to make to help other working moms. Taking the lead. This first episode was the pain point. Next week is the paradox. Don't miss this special run of Note to Self. Four episodes in a row. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know, would you use a service like this? Or maybe you have found something that helps you manage it all. Or maybe you think this is a total load of nonsense. We do want to know. Email us or send us a voice memo at note2self at wnyc.org. Or you can reach out on Twitter or Facebook at note to self. Our series was produced by me and Jen Poyant with audio engineering and design by Joe Plord, scoring from Hannes Brown. We also had help from producers Jenna Cagle and Seth Kelly. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this is Note to Self from WNYC Studios. Hi, I'm Kat and I have a national manager job in Melbourne, Australia. That has me travelling interstate, which can be pretty hard to balance with young kids at home. One time when I was pregnant with morning sickness, I was waiting in this long airport security line, really queasy, and just as I got to the head of the queue, I had to vomit. Luckily, I had an airline sick bag. But then I didn't know what to do with it. So the security guard just kind of looked at me and calmly held out a tray and off through the x-ray machine sailed this bag of vomit that I then retrieved on the other side. Um, Rather embarrassing.